Hello and welcome to episode three of Fly With Your Shadow. I'm Jeff Robson coming to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You can find the first two episodes of the show along with a lot of helpful links and information at flywithyourshadow.com. Feel free to get in touch with me anytime at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at flywithyourshadow. The show deals with music, mental illness, and the mess that COVID-19 has made of it all. Sometimes we'll lean a little more heavily on one of those topics than another. This week we're talking a lot about music with an indisputable Canadian music legend who's known throughout North America and abroad in the blues and roots communities. This week my guest is... Hello, uh, my name is Colin Linden and I'm a guitar player. To call Colin Linden simply a guitar player might be the understatement of a lifetime. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing I love to do best. I love it all, though, truth be told. But, but for me, playing the guitar is just the greatest thing. Yeah. At 11 years old, this precocious young kid introduced himself to blues legend and intimidating figure, if there ever was one, Howlin' Wolf. He was playing in bands soon after. Sure, he's a great guitar player, no doubt about that. He's played alongside Willie P. Bennett, Emmylou Harris, Robert Plant, Bruce Coburn, and countless others. He's also a third of renowned Roots rockin' supergroup Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, who released the album King of This Town in early 2020. Someday I'll find my crown To burn it up, you gotta burn it down And I'll be Colin has also released 12 or so highly acclaimed albums of his own. Here's one of my favorites from his 2015 album, Rich in Love. Don't you know it's hard to cry when all the rivers have run dry? He's also one of the most sought-after album producers in the world. He co-produced Keb Moe's 2019 album Oklahoma, which won a Grammy for Best Americana Album. You can find out a lot more about his music and his many accomplishments at his website, colinlinden.com. Colin Linden also co-produced John Bottomley's album Blackberry, which you heard a lot about on last week's show. John, and especially that album, greatly inspired me to create this show, so I wanted to know more about the making of the album from someone who had a big hand in making it as great as it is. I spoke with Colin Linden at the very end of 2020. So I wanted to talk to you today, first of all, because you produced a record that has been, um, it's, it's, it's held a very special place in my life for, for 25 years now. And it just, the songs and the sound of it has meant so much to me. And, uh, I wanted to, to, I wanted you to tell me a little bit about how you got involved with John Bottomley and that record that came out in 1995. Well, it's an interesting thing. I got a phone call from David Bendis, who was a guitar player who, uh, uh, became an A&R man and then subsequently has become really very established producer uh, himself in, in New York, but at the time he was living in Toronto and I knew him a little bit and I had started producing records for some major labels that had, you know, gotten some notice and had people had liked. So David, um, John had been signed to a label called latent, which was the Cowboy Junkies label who at the time were involved with RCA records. And David was the, uh, 
A&R guy for RCA Records, and he called me out of the blue uh, and said, I have an artist here, and I don't know what to do with him. He sent me a bunch of songs, and I'm not sure how to, you know, like, I don't know how to do that, how to deal with this. I don't know, like, what, where he should be going or what kind of advice to give him. It's sort of out of my wheelhouse. And I had met John through T-Bone Burnett, who had produced some songs on his previous record. Right. And I had become real good friends with T-Bone, even, you know, back in, as, uh, you know, I, back in late 1991. And in the summer of 1992, my wife and I did a gig with T-Bone in Toronto at the Horseshoe, and John came up to it, and John had met T-Bone before. So I met John then, and I really liked him, and I had heard some of his music, and I really liked it. So anyhow, cut to the chase, David Bendeth, uh, I, I go over to his office in Toronto at RCA and uh, he gives me a bag full of demos that John had sent. Um, and uh, it blew me away. Uh, there was a lot of stuff. But one song particularly uh, hit me over the head right away. Actually, a couple did right away. Uh, and one of them was uh, called You Lose and You Gain. And it was... It was there was something in it that just grabbed me so much. And I thought there's really, really something here. And uh, um, there's another song called The Candle in the Dark that also felt like I... I kind of understood where he was coming from in a certain way. And another one called I Remember Lar, which never made it to the record. We actually recorded it in outdoors on a portable DAP machine in the middle of the night at Stanley Park. And it was, uh, but he, the demo for that song really got me. Uh, so I called David back right away and I said, I really like this stuff. And, uh, 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 you know, he said, well, do you want, produce a record on him and I said I would love to and uh, I really had liked John before and John and I got together in, in Vancouver went out to, my wife and I went up to uh, to Vancouver to meet with John because he had moved to Vancouver subsequently and uh, we got together and he and I just had a great chemistry playing together sitting with two guitars and we spent two or three days just going over songs and I really just fell in love with the music and I just thought he was such a wonderful guy that we really had a great time. I was still playing live with Bruce Coburn and Bruce's band at that time and I had a fairly busy summer. Um, so I called my friend, uh, I talked to David uh, Bennett, if, if, you know, and asked him uh, if I could bring in my friend John Wynott to co-produce it with me because John, I always liked having John engineer stuff and mix stuff for me. Um, but it was, I thought it was, if there was any time conflicts or anything like that, uh, having John being able to be there too would be a great idea. And John made incredible contributions to the record as it turned out. Um, but, um, uh, it felt like the gang of players who I was really close to playing with would really embrace John Bomley's music. And that was uh, Johnny Diamond on bass and Gary Craig on drums and Richard Bell on, on piano and organ and Richard, was in addition to playing with me, uh, you know, we'd been playing together for about five years at that point, but Richard was also out on the road with the band. 
playing keyboards with them the last nine years they played. So he was fairly busy, but as it turned out, uh, the band played in Vancouver when we were tracking the album, and they had a couple of days off before their next gig. So we got Richard in just for, I guess, maybe two or three days of it, but he played so beautifully on the record, too. So anyhow, I could talk about that record for hours because it was really close to me. You, uh, you've produced so many records over the years, but just going by your website, I know you've been involved in music since you were a kid, but going by your website, you'd only been, this is only like the third or fourth record that you'd produced, I guess. Well, I think I, at that point I had probably produced 15 or 20. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, some of them don't end up on all music because some of them were for independent labels, but at that point I had done, uh, I had done, uh, probably five of my own. And I had done uh, uh, a, a number of blues albums, one for a European artist named Hans Tasink. I had done records for Jackson Delta and for uh, Rick Fines. I had started getting called by major labels. I had done one for uh, Laurie Yates, which uh, was on Virgin, that came out around that time. And I had done Lenny Gallant for Sony, uh, which is a record that won a, a bunch of awards. Uh, they were around the same time, you know, 92, 93, 94, uh, is when I began to get, uh, I guess really 91, I began to get quite a lot of call to do stuff. And, uh, and then I had done, you know, I had done a, a number of albums for Mendelssohn Joe and for other independent artists at that point. So I had been producing records for quite a long time at that point, even. Uh, the the job of a producer is such an interesting one to to a lot of us who aren't involved in making music. It seems like um, your job can be different depending on who you're working with, as far as how much sure input you have into the songs and the actual sound of the thing. So, for John's record, how how much of the sound or the songs do you feel like you put in there? Well, I mean, we all made a lot of contributions, but. Uh, in terms of kind of guiding the aesthetic to it, I felt fundamentally that John would be really well served with really organic sounds, which you know was not a, not necessarily a given at the time, and a band playing with him. Um, those things I felt were really you know really important, and and I felt that the palette of sounds and the palette. Uh, of style that we drew upon was rootsier, I think, than some of where he had been before and some of where he had gone after. And it felt like it suited the songs. I think that was kind of, John wanted to go deep too. He wanted to know about early blues. He wanted to know about early folk music, you know, like, uh, and, and uh, old timey music and that kind of stuff. And, and he was really, uh, he was, I wouldn't say he was like a sponge, but he was fascinated with it. And it felt like it intersected what I had to, you know, my frame of reference um, in terms of making records and in terms of, uh, in terms of coming up with ideas um, was kind of what he wanted to do at the time. I mean, some of the songs on the record, I remember there was one called Long Way to Go, where nobody had headphones on or anything. We just sat in a circle. There's, I think, two microphones on the drums. There's like a low mic and a high mic. And uh, and uh, maybe John was a few feet away from us, but me, that track was John, me, Gary, 
and Johnny. Um, and uh, we just, you know, we all played it very much in the room and it was not really, uh, uh, you know, it was not um, done in there's the way that, I guess more people have made records like that since, but it was, at the time it was something that, especially for something that would be a radio hit, um, it wasn't something, there wasn't a way that people would have thought about doing it, but it, it really suited John's performance. One thing I can tell you about him is that almost every note of what he sang on that record is a live vocal. Um, he would maybe fix one word or two words here and there. Um, but he was like, he was so engaged when he was, he was so engaged and absolutely unselfconscious and committed and focused when he was just in, you know, playing and singing at the same time, getting an overdub performance out of him was like a different guy. And, uh, um, so we went for it all the time when we recorded. And so pretty well, well, I think everything that you hear, there are a couple of things where he might have fixed the, you know, he might have fixed one there too. But really, it's live vocals all the way through. And uh, um, uh, including there's a song called Saint Psalm on the record, which is one of my favorite songs on the record. And the third, the third verse, the, it starts with the words, trembling rain across the land. And he kind of was learning the song. So the way that he said it, um, he, uh, uh, it sounds like he's singing Trey man rain across the land. And so I said, John, it's the Trey man. Think of it like this. There are all these old guys wandering through the desert with water and bringing water on trays to people. <laughs> Think of it as Trey man. Cause I didn't want him to lose the, the live vocal. And he started laughing. He said, okay, well, Trey man it is. <laughs> Throughout the land Salvation Army Band Don't be so quick Should the walls have risen So it, it sounds like it was just a a great a great time. There was no uh it, it doesn't sound like it was it was it was a hard record to make. No, it was it was uh it was just it was just full of joy, a lot of laughter. And, uh, uh, you know, there was, uh, um, you know, there was, it was, it was it always when you're making records, there's certain songs that are hard to get. Or, yeah. You know, like something could be this way and, it, and, uh, you're trying to, you know, trying to get it to be as good as it can be in your mind and trying to figure out, okay, well, if it's not going to be exactly like this, what's the best way to go from then? But really, truly, uh, it was really a fun and, and easy record to make. That's great. And uh, the label, sometimes making records for a record label, they kind of want their input or they want it to sound a certain way. Did you have anybody watching over you or did you make the record that you guys wanted to make? Well, they were over the moon when they heard the roughs. Um, so they were thrilled about it. In, in that day, if memory serves, um, uh, the uh, the mixer Tom Lord Algae had just done uh, the Crash Test Dummies and had done that group. Oh, what the, the big song was called uh, Lightning Crashes. Um, live wasn't that live? Oh, what were they called? Live. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. they were on RCA. And Tom Lord Algae had mixed those two records. So 
the uh, the record company came in and said, we want Tom Lord Algie to mix this. And uh, um, he did. And, and I think he did. Uh, I think he did a very good job. There were certain things that uh, ended up uh, uh, kind of different than how I would have imagined them. Right. Uh, but overall, I think he did an excellent job. Yeah. And did you have any any involvement with with John Bottomley or the record after that? Like, did you ever end up playing with him or anything, or was that pretty much just make the we record did, go uh, on? We did. We we did uh, quite a few gigs in uh, mostly the summer of 1995 mm-hmm. um, when the record had come out. It was kind of a strange time because the record uh, "You Losing You Gain" was released in January of 1995, and it went to the top ten. On the you know on the the uh, the song did yeah I think back then they called it the CAR the Contemporary Album Radio Charts which were the big rock charts at the time uh, and it went to top ten for three months and the album wasn't released until the end of March and uh, um, so I mean they released the single in advance but uh, in the interim when the between when the record became a hit. And, uh, and when it was actually released, um, several of the people at the record company, because they had had so much success with uh, the Crash Test Dummy song, the mm, mm, yeah, song, yeah. Uh, uh, David Dendeth, uh, I think uh, two or three other senior people at RCA were moved to RCA New York, which was a great thing, but... John was kind of left to fend for himself oh, a little yeah. bit. So all yeah. the people who he knew at the record company were sort of gone yeah. at that point. And he, he, uh, he changed management and it was, it was a kind of a challenging time for him after he was new game had become a hit. Uh, I mean, it was a wonderful thing. And so many people would love that record. Yeah. And, uh, um, um, so that spring, I guess it wasn't the summer. We did a couple shows in the summer, uh, but that spring we did uh, three nights in Vancouver, three nights in Victoria, uh, or maybe it was two nights in Vancouver, two nights in Victoria, two nights in the Milo, something like that, uh, where where uh, he opened for May Moore. And Richard was out with the band, so he couldn't come out with them. But uh, Johnny and Gary and I came out and played with him. We had a really good time. And it was good. It was, it was in some ways, it was a little bit of a challenge getting the record to, uh, if we had, you know, if we had had a little more chance, I think we could have probably done, you know, probably done more. Um, but, uh, uh, we had a, uh, you know, we had a good time. We did some gigs and then we did, I guess, a handful of gigs in the years beyond. I remember John and I, uh, opened for Steve Earl right after Steve had had, uh, Steve had gone to jail and had, kicked heroin and he came back with his album feel all right and i always loved his music and he played the danforth music hall in toronto it was his first time back and john opened the show and i played guitar for him you know so john and i just opened it as a duo um which was i guess that must have been in the summer of 95 too or something like that or maybe it was 96 maybe it was a little bit after so we did a handful of gigs, but we didn't really do that much. Um, and uh, and uh, when I would be in Vancouver from time to time, I would see John. But that was, a, you know, we moved here to Nashville in 97. Didn't, you know, 
weren't, you know, we kind of wasn't hanging around the scene very much beyond there, so we couldn't see each other very often. But always, it was always wonderful to see him. I always, I always thought he was a friend, and I think that we really, both of us, really treasured treasured the time that we worked together. And and do you remember hearing anything about when he had died or anything? Did that did that? Because I remember when when I heard it, just uh, it, it broke my heart, just because this record means so much to me. Well, I got the call actually from John Wynott, who had uh, who had. I think seen something on Facebook, maybe seen a post from Chris Bonomley, really just a day or two after it happened. And it broke my heart too. He had asked me to play on the song on a record he had done, and I hadn't had a chance to do it yet. And I was looking forward to doing it. And there's a song called Hanta Yo. Yeah, it broke my heart too. I, I, you know, you always think to yourself, man, oh man, I, I would never have thought that things had gotten to that point with him. So, I really do have uh, uh, so much, uh, uh, so, so many happy memories of working on that record. It really, really meant a lot to me. The other thing that we talk about on the show is sort of how the how 2020 has uh, has affected music and uh, yourself being such a busy guy playing for other artists and doing your own records and your own shows and blacking the Rodeo Kings records and blacking the Rodeo Kings shows and producing other records. I got to assume that your calendar is booked fairly far in advance and that at the beginning of the year you probably had a lot of things lined up. Can you take me back to the beginning of 2020 and tell me what what things looked like ahead? Well, I mean, uh, the first couple months we were very busy. We started by doing some promo. Our album, Blackie's album, King of This Town, which is our first label for a major, uh, first label, first record for a major label uh, in in our history um, for Warner Brothers, uh, was released January 24th. So I came up to Toronto uh, to do uh, some promo for that, you know, around the 16th or 15th. Spent a few days in the freezing cold doing that, and it was wonderful to do. And we were very excited about having Warner Brothers on board with uh, the album. And then I uh, flew home to Nashville, and then a couple of days later, um, I went to Los Angeles for the Grammys, and I won a Grammy for producing Kent Bones' album, which was very exciting. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. And uh, you know, Janice and I, my wife and I, went out. And had a great time. I mean, Kev Moe's a really uh, close close friend, and we worked together for years. So it was, I was thrilled that he asked me to produce the record, and and uh, um, it was great to get a Grammy, and it was great to be at the Grammys. And uh, we flew back home, and then flew up to Toronto for the Maple Blues Awards, where none of us won anything <laughs> but we had a good time yeah and then a few days a few days later i uh, flew, we flew back home and then uh, my wife and i flew to new york city where i mastered a couple of albums that i had well one album that i had produced and uh, a box set for bruce goburn um, a vinyl box set um so i went to to supervise the mastering for that and it was our anniversary, so we stayed there for an extra day or two. Uh, flew back to Nashville 
and uh, got ready to uh, do a European tour uh, playing a festival called C2C, Country to Country, that, that happens in five countries now, a gigantic country music festival, uh, where I was a band leader for a guy named Charles Esten, who was the male lead on the television show Nashville. And uh, it was Johnny and Gary and me. I mean, they're my best pals. So it was us and uh, Janice, my wife, came with me. And we were supposed to leave March 3rd. And the morning of March 3rd, we awoke. Well, we didn't awake. We we had lived through it a little bit that night. There was a terrible tornado here in Nashville. So it shook everybody up. But still, we flew off to England that night. And um, we uh, flew to England and rehearsed in England, did... uh, uh, took the tour bus to Amsterdam and did a show in Amsterdam, took the tour bus to Berlin and did a show in Berlin. Um, we were supposed to do London, Glasgow, and Dublin the following weekend. And so my wife and I went to Inverness, Scotland, for a few days to for vacation up there. And three days through, got a call saying they're closing the borders. You better, We better get home. So instead of going to – the festival was canceled, and instead of going to London – and staying there and moving, uh, doing the rest of the shows, we spent, we had a, a very long and harrowing day uh, getting home. And we got home on the uh, 12th of March and uh, uh, immediately went into uh, quarantine. And there we are. So the rest of the year, I probably gave you too much information. No, no. But the rest of the year was supposed to be filled with, uh, um, in the uh, in the immediate aftermath of that, there's going to be another tour with Chip, with Charles Eston, uh, in April, uh, followed by, um, you know, a, a bunch of other Blackie stuff. The year was going to mostly be about Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. Uh, and I produced an artist named Olivia Wolf, and uh, her stuff was due to be released around then, and we were supposed to go out and do it you know, quite a few shows in May together. I was going to play guitar with her as well. And um, and then it was going to be a summer full of Blackie festivals followed by a, a Cross Canada fall tour with Blackie. Oh, and, I, was hoping, uh, I was hoping we were going to get to see you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were hoping we'd get to play. And uh, so that was how it was supposed to go. But it's amazing. My wife designed a studio for us uh, that has been up and running. It's a, a separate building. It's a, a, a thousand square foot building with a 16 foot ceiling, and it's a great place to work. So we got home, and uh, you know, just kind of felt like, okay, well, um, you know, things are going to be different. But I, fortunately, I ended up, especially for that first six weeks or so. There was still there was still some work with Olivia Wolf and a few other things, uh, and there were a number of things that had opened up. So I got a chance to do a fair bit of remote work sessions on some records, and and then I kind of thought, okay, well, I've been waiting. I have a very ambitious new solo album that I knew was going to take me a lot of time to finish because it was based on taking some tracks that had existed, instrumental tracks that had existed turning them into songs and performances. Uh, first, it started as source music I did for a television show uh, for the Sundance Channel a few years ago. And uh, they let me use all the material. And uh, I, uh, I ended up finishing, you know, it took, it took about two months, but I ended up finishing my new album, which is going to be out early in 2021, called Blow. 
And I really had a chance to take my time and, and get it just like I wanted and ended up re- writing and recording a number of new songs entirely remotely. So did that through the early part of the summer and God bless T-Bone Burnett. Um, he uh, got me involved with a number of projects uh, over the summer that were really fun. And we did, you know, so socially distant sessions here at the studio and recorded you know, Lucinda Williams and Steve Earle and Allison Russell and Adia Victoria and a bunch of stuff um, for T-Bone, which was, you know, which it was great to have to get, you know, he, uh, he's been such a mentor and great friend to me for all these years. And so he was, he was a godsend for me this summer. And then really uh, in the fall, um, I started, I produced a whole album uh, remotely for a Canadian artist named Christina Hutt, that I think will probably be out in the spring. Uh, that was tremendous. I got to play with musicians uh, who, uh, you know, all remotely, but Johnny and Gary did some of it, and my friend George Rosselli, who I played with uh, when I played with Bob Dylan, a uh, great drummer uh, from Arkansas, played on some of the stuff too, and uh, really had a good time doing that record. And then when that finished, I started work on the late band. Um, and Jimmy and I, Jimmy Weeder and I had written a number of songs, uh, over, we've written a bunch of songs over the years and he really wanted to work with me on, on this record and the writing. So we wrote half the album ourselves and, um, and then it started doing it really in late November. So that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> so it sounds like you didn't have much time to sit around and, <laughs> and worry about what wasn't happening. It sounds like you kind of jumped into gear and started doing all kinds of other things that you might not have been able to. That's true, actually. That's true. I mean, it's different in terms of, you know, you don't, you know, that you do, you you count on live work for a bunch of your living and that goes away. So you've got to kind of scratch your head. But, you know, my wife and I have been cooking, which has been great. And, uh, you know, keeping really hunkered down as much as we can. Things are so brutal here in America right now. Um, uh, but yeah, it's not to say that a lot of good stuff hasn't come from it too. So, uh, you know, you feel just, you have to kind of, not you don't have to, but I, I prefer to kind of look at that stuff because it's so, so sad to think of so much, uh, so much sickness and death and, uh, disease that has just been everywhere. So. It does it does change your perspective a little bit on what it is that you do because you feel like, okay, well, if I can, you know, the fundamental idea that you play music and you make music to share with other people and have them really get great joy and, and fulfillment from listening to it and you get great joy and fulfillment from doing it, that very basic thing is just it it, uh, it sustains you because the, the the truth of the matter is that is why you do it and every every year that goes by you feel really fortunate that you've been able to I mean I've been able to make my life playing music as a full time musician since I was sixteen and I'm sixty now so I feel very very fortunate that way yeah I mean a lot of younger artists have have had to kind of reevaluate whether 
whether they can continue to do this in the face of this thing. But, uh, but a guy like yourself, you're, you're a lifer, I guess there's, <laughs> there's no going back now, right? You're not going to go and do well, something I feel, else. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that I know how I'm going to go in <laughs> yeah. April or something like that. But that being said, I have, uh, I've been so, I've, uh, I've been, I feel like I've been, uh, I feel like this is, I feel totally on fire with making music and thrilled about making music and enthused about making music. And uh, hopefully that will, you know, bode well to get through this and man, oh man, it would be great to get back out and, and hear, you know, play music, and have people hear it live, you know. You got out to do a couple of shows though, didn't you? Didn't you play like the city winery? I or did. Something? Yeah. I did. We did, we did city winery in October and it was wonderful. It really was really great to do. And it's great to see, see my friends, you know, and, um, Lucinda came and played. Lucinda Williams came, was a guest. And Sam Palladio, uh, who was from the Nashville TV show, who's just the most wonderful guy. Uh, he and his girlfriend, who's a great singer named Cassie Pope, came out. And Olivia Wolf, who I mentioned, uh, she came out. So it was great. And it was just absolutely fulfilling. And I think the City Winery's done a wonderful job at making people feel safe. Um, I mean, things were better in early October than they are now. I don't know if they've continued on or if they've been able to, but we, you know, we did, we, we've, we've pulled back in really a lot in the last couple of months simply because too many people that we know who have also been really cautious the way that we are, um, you know, several of them got sick and, uh, just, there's so much of it around that it's just hard to avoid. So, so we've been taking it seriously, you know, and encourage everybody else to I know in Canada it's it's gotten worse too, but it's so 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 much better than it is here yeah we're uh, we're very lucky but uh but still you know not not where we were and not where we'd like to be for sure yeah yeah so what does the future look like but, can you even can you even guess what uh what what twenty twenty one looks like well I have a lot of things that I hope for. Uh, I'm excited about my album coming out first and foremost. Uh, it's it, for the first time that I mean, I've been playing, you know, everything that I do is informed by being a blues musician. That's really what it is. And I am. And, um, and, uh, this is the first sort of uh, electric blues album I've ever made. And I'm really, really, you know, it was really thrilling to do that. You know, I felt like there were a lot of interesting avenues to go. And, uh, um, so I'm very excited about that coming out, uh, on January 10th, I'm doing a live stream thing under the offices of a label called signature sounds, uh, where I'm being interviewed by a dear, dear friend of mine and my hero, Peter Goralnik, who's I think the greatest music, the writer about mu- of, uh, about music in the world. And, uh, I felt that way long before I ever knew him. So we're we're getting a chance to spend a few hours or spend an hour or so together over the, uh, you know, over the virtuals. So that's coming up that I'm excited about. Um, I've been writing a lot with Tom Wilson. And for me, I'm really jazzed up about Blacking the Rodeo Kings. I loved uh, doing King of This Town. So uh, I'm really hopeful that 
Blackie will be able to maybe play by the fall, maybe even do some outdoor stuff in the summer. So those things I'm looking forward to. And um, I, I have, I guess, one confirmed and possibly two other album projects that I can continue to do the way that I have been doing. So hopefully between now and the summer, I'll be able to stay in the studio pretty busy. And, and then maybe by summer, people will be able to travel again. Well, that's, that's great. We'll definitely have to have to watch for the, for the record and everything to come. Um, is, is there anything that we can or should do to help support you or the, or the stuff that you do at this time? Do you have anything, um, you know, that people, uh, well, I'm not supposed to be talking about the release of the album yet, but when it does come, I'll let you know, uh, there's going to be like when, when it comes up, there'll be a few, a few things I'll be able to talk about. Um, officially when we get the uh you know the go ahead but uh, um so that's that's the main thing but uh gosh you know i'm just uh i'm happy that you're interested in talking it was great to talk about john bottom too because that's good memories yeah he's a he, yeah he's a large part of the uh inspiration for what i'm doing these days especially so it's good good to that's have that great well thank you for remembering because he was, uh, he was as, as good hearted and kind and, uh, just, he was a, a really wonderful guy. We had a, a great time working together and I had nothing but great affection for him. And I'm really, really sad that he's not around. So, but, uh, okay. Well, uh, Jeff, if there's anything else that you want to know, just let me know. Thanks. Thanks for talking to me. And, and, uh, I hope that 2021 is a good one for you too. It's always an honor to speak with Colin Linden. He's always been one of the nicest, most approachable musicians I've ever met. When I first asked him to talk about John Bottomley, he responded enthusiastically and was very generous with his time, even though he was right in the middle of a recording session at the time. Check out his website, colinlinden.com, for a lot more information and links to buy his music. Most of it's available on iTunes. John Bottomley's album Blackberry is also available on iTunes, and it's highly recommended. By the way, I post links to all the music heard in each episode at flywithyourshadow.com. Please come check some of it out and buy it to support talented musicians during a time when they're all unable to earn a living doing what they love. I'd love it if you'd share this episode with someone who might find it interesting, and if you're so inclined, leaving a review wherever you found the show would really help. Getting the word out about the show is the most difficult part of the whole thing, so your help spreading the word sure would be appreciated. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and of course at flywithyourshadow.com. I genuinely appreciate any comments and feedback you might have, so please email me with your thoughts at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com. I'm always looking for ideas for upcoming episodes, so if you've got a mental health story to share or know of a musician who might fit into the theme, please drop me a line and I'll look into it. I really hope you enjoyed the show. You can find us on social media at flywithyourshadow and on the website flywithyourshadow.com. I also host a music show called Tell the Band to Go Home, where I play a lot of music like you heard today. You can find out more about that at tellthebandtogohome.com, and you can probably find episodes of that show wherever you found this one. 
I thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next week for the next episode of Fly With Your Shadow. Fly with your shadow.